Today we are going to end our series, A Glimpse of Heaven. It's been a fascinating series and an awe-inspiring series. We started in chapter 4 around the throne of God, spent two weeks there, and then last week we saw that God the Father handed, in His hand had a scroll. The scroll was complete. It was written on the front side and the back side and inside and out. It was covered with seven seals. It was His complete judgment from the beginning of time against all that is evil, against all that is unrighteous. It is His plan to come. And the question that the angel asked is, who is worthy to open the scroll? And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? See, the question wasn't who is willing, because I'm sure many people might be willing. The question wasn't who has enough strength, because it doesn't take the strength to open the seals. The question was this, who ranks so exalted? Who has a life that is so pure and holy, who is marvelous, full of majesty? Who is able to, in that majesty, the holiness, approach the very throne of God and take the seal, take the title of the universe from God the Father? And so that was the question that echoed throughout the heavens. Who is worthy? And then there was silence. And John wept. He wept because he knew that no creature in heaven or on earth was worthy to open the seal. And thus the judgments would not come to fruition. And thus all of the saints and all the creation that has been groaning would not have been restored. So John wept. But then an elder said this to him. He said, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So we saw that Jesus was not just this meek teacher who lived a good life. He is the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who conquered, and he can open the scrolls. And so when John turns to see the line of the tribe of Judah, he does not see, though, the lion. He sees the lamb, the lamb of God. And it is the lamb and the lamb alone who is worthy to open up the scrolls. So now we're going to finish our series, A Glimpse of Heaven, focusing on the Lamb of God, the one who is worthy to take the scroll, the one who is worthy of all of our worship, the Lamb of God. We're going to start here. Verse 8, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The image, imagery here is very rich, and I, I don't want to just pass over it. I want to actually take a little bit of time and savor the things that are going on here so we get the sense of the fullness of what is happening before the throne here. It says that the, elder, the elders, 
around the throne. Remember the elders, 24 elders representing both the, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel and then the 12 apostles, the Old and the New Testament, and the four living creatures, which are like the cherubim found in Ezekiel or the seraphim found in Isaiah. They are there around the throne. They, they are there to see the lamb take the scroll and they fall down. But they are holding two things. One, it says harps and bowls of incense. So what does that really mean here? So harps. The word for harp here, by the way, in Revelation is a little difficult to translate. It could be harp. It could be lyre. A harp has 10 strings. A lyre could have anywhere between four and 10 strings. In either case, they're much smaller. They're handheld than you would think of the normal big harp that you would find in an orchestra. But the thing about harps, the thing about lyres, is that they are an integral part of worship, that music is part of worship. And what we find is first that in the Old Testament, the harps and lyres were, one, associated with the throne of God. Now, when King David had defeated the Philistines, the Philistines had defeated Israel, and they had taken the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the throne of God. That is where God on the, on the mercy seat would meet the high priest once a year. And there would be atonement for the sins of Israel so that the Philistines had the Ark of the Covenant. That was the throne of God. And so David, when he defeated the Philistines, there was much celebration. From 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 2 and 5. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from uh, Belial, Judah, to bring up there from the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. There was a celebration that the throne of God was back where it rightfully belonged, and harps were part of that celebration. So the throne of God, but it's also just pure praise of the Lord. Psalm 71 I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. So here it is, just music for praise, but the harp is also associated with prophecy. So we find this in 1 Samuel chapter 10. After Samuel anoints Saul, Samuel tells Saul to go one of the, to one of the cities. And this is what we find. Samuel says to Saul, And there, as soon as you come into the city, where you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high places with harps and tambourines and flute and lyre before them, prophesying, then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. So when we talk prophecy here, we are saying the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord. 
So what do we find just with harps alone? We find the three things. It is associated with the throne of God. It is associated with the praise of God and the prophecy of God. Is this not an appropriate instrument to have when the Lamb of God is taking the scroll from the Father? But we also find something else, too. We find that there's incense. And incense is associated with the holiness of God. Remember, we talked about last week how we find so many references to the Old Testament in Revelation. We continue on here. In Revelation chapter 30, God gave very specific instructions on how to make incense that should be used for him and for his holiness. But you didn't know that. God gave very specific instructions about incense. Exodus chapter 30, it says, And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make it for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as a perfume shall be cut off from his people. So here we say, here the Lord says, you are to make an incense specifically for me. And it is not for your personal use. If you use it for your personal use, you shall be cut off from the nation of Israel. And you are to use this incense before the testimony. What it's referring here to is in the uh, tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle in the desert? The tent of meeting had two places. One was the holy place, and then inside there was the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And before the veil, and do you remember what was on the veil? Cherubim on the veil, right? We're trying to tie all this in. Before the veil was the altar of incense. And it was the high priest who was supposed to put the incense on the altar And specifically, it was used on the Day of Atonement. This was the high, holy day for the nation of Israel when incense was burned, because it was on that day where there would be an atonement or forgiveness of the sins of Israel. Is this not an appropriate thing to have incense around the throne of God on that high holy day when Jesus, the Lamb of God, was to take the scroll and open the seven seals. And by the way, do you remember what gift was given to Jesus? The three three wise men, they gave three gifts. What were they? Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And what is frankincense? It's incense. Incense was given to the baby Jesus, to acknowledge his holiness, his deity, and that there would be atonement or forgiveness of sins. 
Isn't this fascinating? I find this fascinating that they would have incense around there. But there's even more to it than that. You see, incense is also associated with the prayers of the saints. Psalm 141. O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my, let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And even in the New Testament, in the beginning of Luke, we have Zechariah before the altar of incense. Do you remember that? It's where Gabriel came to tell him that you and Elizabeth are going to have a child, John the Baptist. So he's before the altar of incense. And what does it say that the people were doing? It says this, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And we also find this then carried through in Revelation chapter 8. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. This is what's happening around the throne you have the 24 elders, and you have the four living creatures. And what you have associated with the harps and the incense is the throne of God, the praise of God, the prophecy of God, the holiness of God, and the prayers of the saints. This is the high holy day when Christ Jesus, the lamb who was slain, takes the scroll. What would you do if you were there? What would you do? This is what the elders did. They fell down at his feet. They fell down at his feet. Now, you and I don't have much of that as a cultural reference in America, do we? In various Asian cultures, they do. They bow before somebody as a sign of great respect, or they might get down on the floor and bow as a sign of great reverence. But in America, we don't have that. As a matter of fact, if you ever watch a movie, if somebody is at the feet of somebody else, it's generally because they've been oppressed or they are beaten down. But no, the elders and the creatures fall at his feet in a sign of great reverence. I remember when I was uh, taking some uh, martial arts, Shotokan Karate. I, I was taking it, and that's also when my back went out. <laughs> but they had a picture. They had a picture of the master's master's master, or whatever. And everybody was supposed to bow down before we began at the picture of that master. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because that was giving honor and praise higher than Christ. So do you get down on your knees? Do you submit fully to Christ Jesus? See, when they got down on their knees, when there was a full reverence, what there was then were three hymns of three hymns. So we're going to talk about the first hymn. The first hymn is the hymn of the Redeemer. 
And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. When it says they sang a new song, I take that to mean a brand new song, not that they switch from one song to another, like in their repertoire, but I believe that it was a brand new song for this moment. And what they're doing in this song is they are answering the angel, who is worthy? Who is worthy? And they answer the angel, the lamb who was slain, he is worthy because of what he has done. They praise Jesus for what he has done. For read, read the text. It says, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. It is everything that Jesus himself has done. We have not offered nothing to that other than we have been ransomed from our sin. It is Christ and Christ alone and his work alone. It's all his work. Redemption is all the work of Christ Jesus. And it is the dividing line in history. And people have trouble with this dividing line in history. On one side, there is sin and death and destruction. On the other side, there is life and there is salvation in him and him alone. And it is a clear dividing line made by his blood. A ransom was paid for you, for me, for all of us by his blood. Now, I know you've heard that message before, and it's really hard sometimes to have that be fresh, to have that be new, to have that have the depth of meaning. Because we hear the words and intellectually go, yep, by his blood. Have you ever had anybody die right next to you and bleed out? Have you had anybody give their life to you and shed their blood so that you may be saved. We find that in war. We find that around our nation with law enforcement, but we really don't find that many other places. And so it becomes this intellectual thing for us. Let me tell you a true story. This uh, happened on February 16th, 1989. And it was at the home of George and Vera Bajensky. They received a phone call at 9.15. And the voice on the other end of the line said, there's been an accident. And it involved their son, Ben. So George and Vera got in their car and they drove to the intersection near the high school. And Vera saw all the flashing lights, and she saw a photographer, and for whatever reason, her gaze 
captured on the photographer the lens of the camera, and she followed where the focal point was on the lens, and she saw the biggest pool of blood she'd ever seen. And all she could say was, George, Ben went home. He went home with his heavenly father. Now, her first reaction was to jump out of the car and somehow take the blood off the street and put it back into her body because she knew at that moment the blood was the most precious thing in the world. The blood was life. And it was life-giving blood, and it belonged to her son, her one and only son. Now, the road was dirty, The blood didn't belong there. And her husband, George, noticed the cars were still driving through the intersection. And they were driving on some of the blood. And his heart was just cut to its core. He wanted to cover the blood with his coat and cry, you will not drive over the blood of my son. Vera understood for the first time in her life one of God's greatest and most beautiful truths. Why blood? It was the strongest language that God could use. It was the most precious thing that he could give, the highest price that he could pay. First Peter says, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And the sacrifice of the lamb is for every tribe, language, people, and nation. It is for all who come to faith in Christ and him alone. That's the promise. That's what's happening. That's what happened. And now this is the lamb around the throne. Why is he worthy? He's the lamb who was slain, and we are redeemed by his blood. That is why he is worthy. So they sang a hymn to the Redeemer, and then there was a hymn of glory. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now it's not only the 24 elders and the four living creatures. Now it is a myriads. It's myriads of myriads of angels. Literally, in a literal fashion, it reads 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Some people have tried to give an exact number like 100 million, but that's not the point. It is an immeasurable, a number you can't count. All of the angels in creation are praising, giving glory to the Lamb. And they say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. How many attributes are listed there? Seven. 
What does seven mean? It means complete, perfect. There is no other greater glory they could give to him. When people say Jesus is not God, just point them to what the angels praise and they give glory and honor just as God gives glory and honor. First Chronicles chapter 29. Listen, and just, I just want you to listen to this and then compare that to what the angels are singing. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatest, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in earth and is yours. Yours this is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as heaven above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. Is that not the same praise that Jesus received? And God has also said that he will share his glory with no one. So either two th- there are two things that are happening around the throne. Either the angels are singing a song of blasphemy because Jesus is not God and he's sharing the glory of God or he is God. And thus he shares the same glory with the Father. So now there's this crescendoing, right? You've got the 24 elders, you've got the four living creatures, and now you've got all the angels singing. So it's this song that keeps building, and finally we get to a hymn of creation's praise. And I heard every living creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. It says that every living creature on heaven and, uh, uh, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea. Does that sound familiar? If you were here last week, it should sound familiar, because that's what I read from Philippians chapter 2. It says, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, what we see here playing out in this hymn of all of creation's praise is this. There's the praise of God's absolute power over the universe and the Lamb's victory over death and the grave. And then it crescendos. And it ends with an Amen. And do you remember what the amen is? It means truly, this is most certainly true. And rather than a big ovation, there's again falling down at his feet, giving him complete reverence. Look, if you ever want a glorious picture of what heaven is like and who the Lamb of God is, Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. It is a glorious, awe-inspiring sight, this glimpse of heaven. 
You see, heaven reserves the greatest praise of Jesus because he's the redeemer. Not because he was a good teacher, not because he had ethics, not because of any of that, because he is our redeemer. I like how one author put it. He was born in weakness and he died in weakness, but he is the recipient of all power. He became the poorest of poor and yet owns all the riches of heaven and earth. Men laughed at him and called him fool, and yet he is the very wisdom of God. On earth he experienced humiliation and shame as sinners ridiculed and reviled him. They laughed at his kingship and tired him in a mock robe with a mock crown and scepter. But now, in heaven, he is the Redeemer King. Does your heart say amen? Does your heart sing amen to our Redeemer King? Would you too get down on your knees and bow and sing with all of creation his praise? For the Lamb who was slain is worthy of all. Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, what glorious truth you have given us in your word. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the Lamb of God who was slain and that we are redeemed in you. Continue to fill our hearts with thanksgiving, with praise of who you are, our Redeemer, our Lord and Savior. And this we pray in your name. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joy ccc.com